outlines on the table, Genesis chapter 3. You'll notice we are in the section Paradise Lost. We've already looked at some of the verses, I think 14 through 16. So we're going to start with verse 17 today and get done with Paradise Lost and then talk about Cain and, of course, Abel in chapter 4. So let's bow together in prayer and we'll begin. Father, thank you for gracing us with such a beautiful afternoon. We're thankful for all of your blessings. We're thankful for wild flowers and the beauty of the earth, all your gifts. But Father, the, the thing that we are most grateful for is a person, and that person is Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Thank you for his death and cross and his glorious resurrection, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, forgiveness for sin, the gift of eternal life, the promise that on that day when you call us home, we'll have a place prepared for us by the Son of God himself. And Father, we thank you for that promise. Father, your word is precious and we love it. And today we gather to stay it and pray that you will speak to us from Genesis. Thank you for all who are here. Bless each one, families. Thank you for this delicious food, music, strength, and nourish our bodies. And, and always today, and we be your faithful servants, always obedient and always ready at any moment to say a word about Jesus to others, to minister to those who are in need. And Father, most importantly, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So bless us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to start by reading verses 17 through 19. Remember, this is after the fall. The sin of Adam and Eve, and God addresses the serpent, he addresses Adam, and he addresses Eve. Now, it's not in that order, it's serpent, Eve, Adam, and we looked at what he said to the serpent, we looked at what God said to Eve, now we're going to look at what God says to Adam. And uh, in fact, this subject came up in my teaching pastors in Haiti last week because my subject you can repeat it was um, pain, tragedy, and suffering in Haiti. What do I have to say to patients about pain, tragedy, and suffering? So I did what I should do anywhere I go and that's to look at the scripture. So we were examining all that the scripture has to say about those subjects. So we talk about where did suffering originate, and it originated in the third chapter of Genesis. That's where it started in the fall of Adam and Eve. So I expressed to them some of my feelings about Adam that I expressed to you last time, and they were in great concurrence with that. Uh, they are a little more expressive than you are. Uh, they were in great uh, Sympathy with my feelings about Adam, but you know, when you think about him, what kind of husband, what kind of man would allow his wife to face the temptation of the serpent? And he's standing right there. 
the stories that say Adam is also where he comes in late in the game are not biblical. It's clear from the text. He was there. He's listening. And he doesn't say a word. And the serpent tempts her with the fruit, and she takes it. He doesn't say anything. Then she eats it, offers it to him. He still doesn't say anything. He just takes it, eats it, and the rest is history. So, you know, guys, husbands, if there's some drug dude who comes up and tries to tempt your wife to, to take drugs, are you just going to stand and see what she does? I doubt it. You're going to step in and tell this guy to beat it, or you're going to beat him. Uh, but Adam didn't say a word. It's just unbelievable. So uh, here we are, <laughs> you know, and here we are, all the centuries later, dealing with, with sin and heartbreak and tragedy. It's started right here. Okay, that, I guess that's it. Verse 17. To Adam, he said, God speaking to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. And notice he didn't say, cursed are you. He said, cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles. For you, 70% of which are in my yard. He will restore and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and your dust you will return. So we'll stop right there. So, guys, Saturday, well, let's move forward to July. On a July Saturday, when you're in the yard, cutting your, mowing your lawn, and doing all the other things you have to do with the, and you sweating like crazy and you think, well, you could have been fishing or you could have been just sitting in the house drinking iced tea and watching the ball game. Just remember Adam. Okay? <laughs> remember Adam. So, in, in verse 17, um, God says, because you listen. Now, this is very interesting because I've studied this and found this in several places. So, I believe it. The term listen to is a Hebrew idiom that means obey. So what God is really saying to Adam is you obey your wife. You abdicated your leadership and you knowingly and willfully did what she said. There you go. So judgment, God curses the ground. You're going to have pain in your work. Work itself is not cursed. Work is good. Work would have been going on if there hadn't been a fall. But now work is hard. Work is painful. And the curse is on the ground. And God curses the ground and says, Adam, you're going to have to work by the sweat of the ground. Now, uh, most, of these, most of these folks, in Haiti, most of these pastors in Haiti, uh, most of them are by vocational with their dogs. None of them that work just as a pastor. And a lot of them have little plots of land where they farm. And so uh, I was talking about sweating them. Yeah, they were nodding. They got that. Yeah, they got that. 
they know what that's like. So God tells Adam, it's going to be hard work from now on. Now what was it he said to Eve, just by way of reminder? In childbirth you will have what? Pain. Pain. Alright, let's come to verse 20. And, uh, and I want to read verse 20 to 24. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. And Eve means living or life. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, the speaking to the Trinity, like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. So uh, Adam names his wife Eve, life, life giver, the mother of all living. He listened to what God said to Eve, and he knew that meant that offspring were going to come uh, from her, and ultimately one, not capitalized one, O-N-E, capital O-N-E, one would crush the serpent's head, or crush the snake's head. So in Adam's naming her Eve, he speaks as if it is already done. It is an absolute certainty. It is going to happen in the future that her child will crush Satan. And who is that child of whom God speaks? Jesus. Uh, did Adam have a full understanding at this point of what all that meant? Uh, no. But he is placing his faith in the Word of God. Once again. Remember the root of the sin of Adam and Eve is that they doubted God's Word. God didn't really mean what He said. Now, in, in verse 21, we see God acting in grace. In fact, we'll see it again in the next chapter, the grace of God. God acts in grace. Adam and Eve are now embarrassed because of their nakedness. Before the fall, they were naked and didn't think anything about it. That's just the way it is. Now they're embarrassed because they, they know sin and they've fallen. And so God, in His grace, clothes Adam and Eve as they recognize their sin and he acts, God acts in grace. This also clothing them with animal skins foreshadows the animal sacrifice that will become so very important and ultimately the sacrifice of Christ himself on the cross. All that's foreshadowed. Adam could, Adam could not have known that yet at that point. But this side of the cross, with the scripture at hand, we see that and we understand all that is unfolding in the Garden of Eden. Now, in verse 22, 23, 24, the Lord talks to the Trinity. There's a conversation. Man did gain knowledge, just like Satan said they would, but what was 
the knowledge. Sin and pride. That's the knowledge that they gain. So they're banished from Eden. Adam, the caretaker, now banished to work the ground in, in a very difficult place somewhere east of Eden. And Eden was guarded so that Adam and Eve could not come back if they attempted to do that. There is no possibility of re-entry for them into the Garden of Eden. Now, the Scripture tells us what we need to know. Sometimes we try to wonder what it would have been like. And we don't have to know that, but it's interesting. What, what went through the mind and the heart of Adam and Eve in the days that followed? As they sat around and conversed with one another, wonder what some of their conversations may have been. Do you remember what it was like when we were in that perfect place? It must have been painful, poignant conversation to remember what it was like before the fall. So what did Adam and Eve do? Well, we don't know all the details of that either, except they had children. But Adam lived to be 930 years old, the scripture tells us. Uh, did he have a relationship with God? The text does not elaborate on that. The Bible does not clearly say so. I believe that he did. I believe that she did have a relationship with God following, following the Garden of Eden. Uh, I think we can see hints at that in the conversation as they depart from, from Eden. But there will be no return to Eden. But here's what lies ahead. Let your mind leapfrog for a long way. We don't know how far yet. But Revelation 21. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared to bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place now is among the people. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Jump back to Genesis. Sounds a whole lot like what Adam and Eve experienced before Paul. They dwelled where God dwelled. He walked with them and talked with them and visited with them. And so that day is coming. Again, in the future, verse 22 and 23, John says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun and the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its Lamb. And then the last chapter of the, book of the Bible, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Remember, rivers that flow through Eden and of the land down the middle of the great street of the city on each side of the river stood the tree of life oh tree of life there we are bearing twelve crops of fruit yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations no longer will there be any curse curse is removed the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and the servants will serve him. They 
wander on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and went to the land of Nod, east of Eden. And that land of the word Nod means wandering. And, wandering. and if, 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 if you'll notice, I would not to spend time on this, but just so you know, whenever there is a um, wandering from God or a, or a banishment at the hand of God, it's always to the east. So, uh, if you have friends that in the east, just tell them, yeah, I know all about you. <laughs> okay, Cain and Abel. The real focus is on Cain, but what we learn is Texas. We won't be here a month. Uh, it could be, just say it could be. Now, Jude verse 11 talks about the way of Cain, and I'll read that later. Talks about the way of Cain, which is the corruption and the slide of a heart away from God into notorious sin. And I've said since I was old enough to recognize this as a young man: if you don't guard your walk with Jesus, you are incapable of anything. If you are incapable of anything. The slide away from God can lead you right into sin that did became, you know others, and maybe even yourself at some point in life, we're capable of anything if we don't guard our walk with Jesus. So don't take your walk with Christ flippantly or for granted. Guard your walk. Prayer, scripture, faithfulness to God's people in the church, all those things are very important. Guard your walk with Jesus. This is a story of depravity, but it's also a story of grace, as we'll see. Now, verse 1 now begins the result of God's command to be fruitful and multiply. So Eve's pregnancy had to be a source of great delight to Adam and Eve. And Eve's was the first pregnancy and the first pain ever in childbearing. So she comes to understand, well, this is what God meant about childbearing. So she has a man or a male child. And Eve saw Cain as a work and an act of God. Because it says in the text, God has helped him to have this child. Then comes Abel. Abel is born, second child. And we already observed his name means breath or quick or fleeting. And Abel's life was indeed over very quickly, at least in, in relationship to, to that of Cain. So Eve has two sons, Cain and Abel. And hope must have welled up in the heart of Adam and Eve as they look to the future now with, with two sons. And of course, there'll be more children to follow, and, and both male and female. So you get the verse 2 through 7, and we find the buildup or the prelude to murder. Cain's a farmer, like Adam, an honorable profession. Abel is a shepherd. And we read that both of them brought an offering. To God. And the text tells us that Abel's offering pleased God and Cain's did not. So 
question. Why was Abel's offering accepted while Cain's was not? And the immediate response of some would be that the blood offering was superior to the grain offering. Uh, however, as you read the Old Testament, and the text doesn't say that, if you read the Old Testament, in many places, the offering of grain is honorable, so both offerings of blood and harvest are honorable and accepted by God and commended by God. So there's nothing here in the text that makes the blood offering superior in, it, in itself, although we can see the foreshadowing. But the issue is that the heart of Cain and the heart of Abel are diametrically different as they bring this offering to God. Cain offered some of the produce of the ground. That's what the text tells us. Offered some of the produce of the ground. Abel, on the other hand, offered the best, the firstborn and the fat. So feel good next time you eat the fat instead. Don't worry about what your doctor says. So, so the difference, the difference is in the heart of Abel and the heart of Cain. Cain does not bring the best. In fact, if you just read the text over and over and over again and the words that follow, it just seems that Cain was a bit indifferent about his offering. Now, we weren't there to hear all the words that were spoken. Maybe it was Abel's idea to bring an offering. I have no idea whether they consulted with each other. Certainly they could have. But it seems that Cain is almost indifferent about his offering to God. Abel brings the very finest. Cain is arrogant. You say, well, how do you know that? Just keep reading. Just keep reading. And you'll see the arrogance of his heart. Now, Hebrews 11.4 says, By faith, that word? By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was committed as, a, as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. Aha! There you go. It's the heart of faith that made the difference between the offering of Cain and the offering of Abel. Cain's way was the way of the world. Abel's way was the way of faith. There you've got the difference. So... Hebrews reveals that Abel's offering was a faith offering. Cain's was not. When I think about the offering of Cain and I think about the offering of Abel, I remember uh, the prophet Micah in uh, uh, Micah chapter 6. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Here's the answer that question. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. 
And when I read that text, I think about Abel and his offering. And I think about Cain and realize that's not the heart of Cain in, in the offering that he made. God, first time that. So uh, here, here's the giveaway. Look at verse 5. Here's the giveaway to uh, the whole the, 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 to Cain. But on Cain and his offering, God did not look with favor. So what happened? So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. There you have it. Anger. Instead of Cain agreeing with God, which is the essence of confession, and asking God's forgiveness, the essence of repentance, and promising to do better next time, Cain is angry. If Cain had said, oh dear God, um, yes, I know my heart wasn't right. I was flippant. I was casual. I was arrogant. I realized I didn't have the right attitude. Would you please forgive me? And next time I bring offering, it will be very different. Would God have forgiven? Of course not. But Cain's heart is his problem. And instead of being humble, he gets angry. And the blazing resentment is directed at Abel. Which is predictable because what can Cain do God? Absolutely nothing. So he realizes, I can do something to Abel. And so his anger now turns from God to Abel. And his face is a giveaway. Downcast face. Now, God steps in in verse 6 and 7. God Almighty sees the heart of Cain. And God steps in and he addresses Cain and gives him a warning. Do right. And your countenance will be lifted up. God offers a warning and a word of grace. Do the right thing, sins crouching at the door. Do the right thing, Cain. Cain ignores God. He's already seething with anger. And the word of God about sin crouching at the door and about pounce, there's no clear example in all the scriptures of what happens with Cain. As sin captures his heart and he commits the first murder. In James chapter 1, remember these words from James. Uh, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor is he tempted anyone, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. That after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So next week, we'll start with verse 8 and the murder of Abel at the hands of Cain. How did, how did Cain do it? We don't know, except that from the text, I believe that it involved the spilling of blood based on God's response. Meaning, I don't think Cain just grabbed him by the throat and choked the life out of him. I think he 
through blood, either hitting in the head with a rock, or in some other way, drew the blood of Abel, and the death came. That's that's what the text we see in the So we'll pick up there next time with verse eight, and continue on through uh, through this chapter. And thank you for being here. I look forward to seeing you uh, next next Wednesday. Father, thank you for your precious word. I pray, Father, that we will in these verses see your incredible grace. But we'll also remember the morning that sin crouches at the door and will counsel on us if we are not sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, if we're not guarding our walk. Thank you that there is no temptation which has the power to overcome us, but with every temptation we face, there is a way of escape. And I pray that our eyes will be fastened on you, that you will guide us and lead us. We want very much to be the people of God that you desire us to be. So thank you for the good food and the fellowship. Bless us now.